Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tiasha Zaitz. One of the things I find great about this show is that you can hear so many different accents of English. Last week, the guest of the show was Mathieu Letom from France, who is the CEO of a connected health devices company called WeThings. Accent-wise, we are today staying in the land of wine, cheese, macarons and eclairs. You know, France. You will hear from Laurent Vanderbroek, CEO of Chronolife, a French company innovating in the space of smart garments for remote patient monitoring. Clothes are not the main innovation of the company. Their secret sauce is a patented neuromorphic algorithm called HOTS. The algorithm detects and predicts deterioration in patients' state of health and alerts caregivers to allow earlier intervention and avoid costly hospitalizations. Laurent shared his thoughts about the French healthcare system in terms of digitalization. He commented the position of smart garments on the market crowded with other kinds of wearables and also answered questions like can you destroy a smart shirt by not washing it correctly? Enjoy the show and to browse through other episodes as well, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. Laurent, I've actually been trying quite hard many times to get someone from France to talk about the digital health situation in France, but it turns out that many French entrepreneurs are not comfortable talking in English. It is true that French uh, have the reputation to not have an excellent skill in uh, in foreign languages. You can also hear that I have a strong uh, French accent, so uh, uh, even if I try to speak uh, English... But I mean, it has recently improved and it starts improving pretty well over the last uh, five to, to 10 years. In fact, it depends on the uh, education and, and training. If you have a business training and education, usually you speak English. If you have a scientific or engineering uh, training or education, sometimes it's, it's more difficult. And on top of mm -hmm. that, the FK the market, I'm sure you are familiar with that. In the FK market in Europe is very fragmented and it's true that the FK providers in each EU countries do not have a lot of, I would say, have limited interactions with their colleagues in the other EU countries, so do not see necessarily the need to speak uh, foreign languages. But that that's mm -hmm. not improving. And does this language barrier mean that digital health companies from abroad are reluctant to enter the market if they don't have French skills? Uh, good question, but I don't think the barriers... Uh, entering the French market is due to the uh, language uh, language issue. I think it's more due to the regulation and the certification process for uh, medical grade solutions and digital health solutions in uh, in France. I'm used to say that last 10 years that if you succeed to be uh, healthcare certified, medical grade and certified in France, then you can sell everywhere in the world because the regulatory barriers 
to uh, be certified in France are pretty challenging, not only at the level of the medical device, but also at the level of the uh, data security, confidentiality, etc., which are good. It's not a criticism, but it's one of the most important barriers worldwide. But to which extent does that differ from, let's say, the European legislation or from the German legislation? Where is the difference that makes it hard for companies to adapt or comply with the demands? That's a good point. It's true that there are European Commission rules and uh, regulations for digital health and for medical devices. So the procedure for medical devices in order to be certified as the same throughout Europe, there is a C marking. However, at the level of the way you can manage, collect, store medical data, patient data and file are different country by country. In other words, they are European directive, but each country is free to adapt this directive and strengthen the rules and regulation as far as data security uh, is concerned. And uh, it's exactly what happens in France. I mean, the, uh, the, uh, the constraints and the regulation regarding data security are very, very strict. So how do you adapt to that, you know, the fragmented uh, market that you operate in? Perhaps you can mention which countries are most important for you and your company. Well, today we operate both in Europe and uh, in the U.S., So the important countries for us in Europe are the countries that have already decrees and laws in place for remote patient monitoring because we, we deliver and operate a remote patient monitoring uh, service and, and solution. The countries that have today decrees and laws and reimbursement rules and principles for remote patient monitoring are mainly France, Germany for some lenders, uh, the Nordics, The Scandinavian countries and uh, the Nordics in general have already good uh, laws and decrees in place for the reimbursement of uh, uh, remote patient monitoring services. And it starts also to happen now in, uh, in Italy. In fact, the COVID-19 crisis have really changed the situation a lot where some countries payers and healthcare authorities that were pretty reluctant to uh, reimburse the service for remote patient monitoring not start doing it in order to reduce the number of readmissions in the hospital. Before we go further into what Chronolife uh, is doing, I still want to stick with the situation in France a little bit and talk a bit more about the digital health status of France at the moment. How would you assess it? Uh, you are the CEO of Connected Health Development, which supports the medtech, pharma and insurers to define, develop and launch their connected and digital health service offerings for remote patient monitoring, prevention and therapeutic efficiency programs. Well, I believe that the situation of and, and the grow of digital health in France, I think It has been slow so far for different reasons. It would take, I think, too long to explain why it has been slow in terms of adoption uh, so far. And it's also a problem of, uh, of scale. And that's why a lot of uh, startups, a lot of companies that start growing on the healthcare market in France very rapidly go abroad and go in other countries in order to reach uh, a certain scalability at the level of the business. Just as an example, when you deal with and through an insurance company in the US, then immediately you access a market of uh, 10th millions of uh, subscribers, users, uh, patients, and so on, uh, whatever if it is for prevention or for remote patient monitoring or for uh, connected uh, therapies. In France, there are a lot of small insurance companies with different needs and uh, 
and requirements and approaches. So that's much more difficult to scale and uh, reach economies of scale on this market. So why very rapidly for a company in digital health, it's very important to uh, go on the international market, to go abroad and commercialize its solution and services in many different European countries. It's in uh, some European countries, including the Nordics, uh, Germany to some extent, and also in France, the situation rapidly improved now, the regulation improved, and there are now decrease in reimbursement rules that have been put in place for remote patient monitoring and for digital health for certain, for the remote monitoring of patients with some chronic diseases in order to reduce uh, admissions and readmissions in the hospitals. And in France, that's exactly the same situation as in Germany. Several years ago, two, two years ago, three years ago, a decree for uh, telehealth for remote patient monitoring service has been put in place, named the ETAP decree through which a GP, a physician, can prescribe telemonitoring, telehealth uh, service for some diseases such as chronic heart failure, diabetes, COPD, and some others, through which patient that would accept to be remotely monitored from home using specific medical device kits, uh, then the uh, the prescription can be reimbursed, but also the service provided by a service operator and by a medtech can be reimbursed. So the national payer in France has put in place specific codes so that the service provider can be reimbursed for the service it provides for the remote monitoring of the patients with some specific chronic diseases. You worked for Qualcomm for eight years since 2001 uh, till 2009. This was almost a decade ago, but still, can you make any reflections about the French versus the US healthcare system? So France is spending 11.5% of the GDP on healthcare, which is high for Europe, but still much less uh, from the US. Did you have any experiences? Definitely. When you deal with one insurance company and the, uh, in the US, then you accept a very large market immediately, whereas in France, which is a, a small market compared to the uh, to the US, uh, you have to deal and team up with a lot of small insurance companies that have different needs and requirements. So you need all the time to modify the product. So in terms of scalability, that's very challenging. However, I think the big difference is the level of protection. In France, the level of protection is very high. You mentioned yeah, the uh, uh, F-care expenditures uh, in France versus uh, other countries, and that's, France is one of the countries that spend a lot so to have a, a, what we call a universal protection, meaning that whatever, if you work or do not work, then you have a social protection and a healthcare insurance. And I think that's very important. So in terms of scalability, there are limitations because... All these people are protected by different small insurance companies, by mutuel, as we call it in France. But on the other side, everybody has the same level of protection. And that's really a key asset we need to maintain. If I understand correctly from the patient perspective, the system is very good. Yeah, at the level of the patient, the system is excellent. The only issue is that the level of, of expenses have reached, I would say, thresholds or limits that, are, that now start to be difficult to maintain. And the COVID-19 crisis, as you can imagine, has, has reinforced this, uh, this problem uh, of level of expenditures versus incomes. And that's why it's so important to adopt digital health solutions that can contribute 
to the reduction of the healthcare expenses. Let's move to Chronolife a little bit. So you are a French AI company specializing in health tech. More specifically, uh, you do a lot of uh, smart textiles. In 2019, you launched uh, NextSkin, a washable smart t-shirt that monitors six key psychological parameters. That includes heart rate, breathing, temperature, and activity. Before we dive into the algorithms and the sensors, I want to ask you something very, very basic. How durable are the clothings with sensors? How demanding is the care for them? You know, I, I personally think that I would be afraid that I'm going to wash the clothes in the wrong way and then it's going to be broken. Uh, you're right, because that's the usual uh, remark from, uh, from patients and from users. Uh, we have invested, in fact, a lot on the usability, I would say, of the connected uh, T-shirt. In fact, you can wash it as a standard, normal garment without the need to remove any electronic component from the T-shirt before washing it. There's been a really, really huge investment uh, on our side because I really consider that if we want remote passion monitoring to be a success and really improve the quality of life of the patient and improve the patient outcome. There is one key element, which is the adherence, the adherence of the patient to the remote patient monitoring service. So the, the medical device or the wearable need to be comfortable, but not only comfortable, but also used as a standard garment t-shirt. Otherwise, you will very rapidly face issue of uh, adherence uh, of the patients to the remote patient monitoring service. So our T-shirt is washable 40 times. In fact, the, the issue of the wash is not really with the electronics fully integrated in the T-shirt. It's more with the textile that we use that the more you wash it, it's finished by the, the elasticity of the T-shirt reduce. Though the sensors are not anymore completely on the skin, so we have more and more noise and the quality of the measurements are less and less important. But uh, we, we guarantee 30 to 40 washes, which is pretty good. In fact, when you need to monitor a patient during three, six months, or even more with, in this case, several T-shirts. Does that mean that the T-shirts are used by patients only for a limited period of time? And are they given based on the prescription written by a doctor and reimbursed by the insurance companies? How do you usually work? Yeah, that's exactly what you mentioned. And that's really the, the GPs, the doctor and the physician that prescribe the service and therefore decide, first of all, the number of hours the patient needs to wear the T-shirt in order to be remotely monitored. If it's uh, three hours a day uh, at rest, if it's uh, during the night uh, or if it's all day long, seven days a week, 24 hours, over a day that may happen for serious cases that really need a permanent monitoring. And in this case, we provide free t-shirts so that you can wash one t-shirt during the night, wear another t-shirt during the day, change the t-shirt during the night and so on. Uh, that's really the GP that decides depending on the status of the illness and, and treatment and if it needs to be permanently monitored or not. So it's not our decision, that's really the physician uh, decision. I mentioned before that the T-shirt enables healthcare providers to continuously monitor six psychological uh, parameters. So let's go back into the history of the design. Can you tell me a little bit more about how did you decide or figure out 
to combine measuring ECG, physical activity, abdominal and thoracic breathing, skin temperature and pulmonary impedance to detect uh, edemas and, you know, use cases like that. So how does the research look like? In fact, to make this story uh, of Chronolife short, I would say the company exists for five years and the key asset and patent of the company is an algorithm, in fact. It's not the T-shirt. It's a software. It's an algorithm that we call neuromorphic algorithm. In fact, it's an edge computing uh, technology uh, that allows to do the computation and the fusion of a lot of different medical data flows generated continuously and in parallel. And through the fusion of these different parameters and data to create uh, clinical events. And in fact, when we patented this algorithm, we look for medical devices that were able to generate continuously many different data flows in parallel. And it was very challenging to find one. So we decided to develop our own uh, wearable, uh, our own medical device under the format of a comfortable and washable uh, wearable with the decision to focus first on uh, chronic uh, heart failure. And that's why we integrated the sensors that do exist today in the uh, in the T-shirt. In other words, an ECG, electrocardiogram, and monitors the thoracic respiration, abdominal respiration, the temperature, the pulmonary impedance to detect uh, edema and the activity of the body. Because when you combine these different parameters, then you have all the elements you need in order to detect and even maybe predict possible decompensation or worsening heart failure. So that's why we proceeded uh, this way. And by the way, we currently conduct a clinical trial in Europe with uh, 550 patients with 25 different hospitals with the objective to demonstrate the predictive capabilities of our algorithm that is embedded on the application of the smartphone and that collect all the data generated by the smartphone and do the fusion of the data on the smartphone with the objective to detect possible deterioration of the health status of the patient and generate an alarm with a possible new decomposition of the patient. Is this the study that you started in July this year when you announced the partnership to accelerate the deployment of a non-invasive telemonitoring solution to make it easier to remotely monitor chronic patients during the COVID-19 pandemic? In fact, uh, no, it's two different uh, opportunities. So the one I just mentioned is a clinical trial that we have decided to launch in order to obtain the certification, the FKS certification of a predictive service for chronic failure, whereas the deal you make reference to is a deal, the first commercial deal that we have signed with a big pharma, namely Servier, which is quartered in France, has decided to support us and be our sponsor for the launch of this remote patient monitoring services, leveraging the connected T-shirt we just went through previously, combined with the application on the smartphone, but with the objective in this case to collect all the medical data generated by the T-shirt and integrate all the data in a web portal that can be accessed by GPs and by physicians to which they can apply thresholds, limits, to generate alarms in case some of the parameters or several parameters and measurements are not in line with the agreed protocol. So in this first deal, you just make reference to sign with Servier or patented algorithm named HOTS is not involved, is not implemented. 
So we have this VESTA clinical trial on one side to obtain the certification of our predictive service. And in parallel, we have started the commercialization of our remote patient monitoring service, leveraging the connected T-shirt and the washable T-shirt together with the application on smartphone, but just to collect raw medical data and make it available to the physicians and GPs. It's been almost two months since this project has started. Is there anything that you can already share regarding the results or just what you are finding out on the go while this project is ongoing? Not yet, unfortunately, in the sense that this commercial deal uh, with Servi uh, has been signed uh, end of July, beginning of August. And the time then required to sign the contracts with the uh, hospitals because you need that uh, even in uh, within the uh, ETAP uh, decree for remote patient monitoring in uh, in France. In fact, you need to sign uh, an arrangement and a contract with each hospital so that patients discharged from the hospitals, then the physician can prescribe the use of our remote patient monitoring service and be remotely monitored from homes. These contracts with these uh, three hospitals we have identified, namely uh, some three large hospitals in France, are currently uh, going for signature. And the objective is to have to the first patients in the cohort as from 1st November. We are still going to have to wait a little bit. A little bit. You mentioned that the secret of your success is not in the textile itself or the sensors, but in the algorithm. So does that mean that you could also sell the algorithm to other device makers? Is there any interest for that on the market? How would you describe your position on the market in contrast to other wearable solutions? Well, in fact, regarding this, the solution as it exists today, so when I say solution, I mean the combination of the connected T-shirt together with the application on the, on smartphone that collect the, the data, encrypt the data and transfer it to remote servers and to servers that are FKS certified as well, of course. When you take a look at the competitive advantage of these solutions, There are several, which are the fact that the T-shirt is washable and comfortable. The second is that it generates different parameters, different medical data continuously. And the third advantage is the algorithm, which is able to do the fusion of the, all these data to create, I would say, a figure representing the health status of the, of the patient and generate alarm in case this figure and this case, this status is changing and moving in the right direction. When you combine this free competitive advantage and you compare it with the what exists today on the market, no one else has this free competitive advantage combined so far. It will probably change, but so far it's not the case. And to answer your second question, yes, definitely. This algorithm named OTS, which is our patent, can also be adapted and integrated in third-party medical devices or solutions in order to do this fusion of uh, multi-parametric uh, medical data flows in order to create uh, clinical events. And as you can imagine, we have discussions in place with some medtech and uh, OEMs that could leverage this patent in order to do data fusion and uh, prediction. And the comparison that you just made with competitors on the market, were you referring to smart textiles or other 
wearable solutions as well, you know, because there are technology makers that do watches or mats for sleep apnea measurements. So there's various solutions that are not clothes that are addressing the same chronic conditions as you are. Yeah, yeah. My comparison was really broad, I would say. I do not compare my connected and washable t-shirt to other connected uh, t-shirts. I compare it to all wearables solutions. So it also includes, for instance, patches, this kind of uh, intrusive solutions compared to a non-intrusive uh, solution that generates one or several medical data, uh, not necessarily continuously. The case of a connected watch, for instance, is a good example. You know that the ECG, for instance, on a watch uh, is not continuous monitoring. So you need to uh, push a button in order to generate an ECG. You generate it during 30 seconds and you stop. So I, I would say each solution has a market for a specific use case or several use case. But we consider that through the combination of all the competitive advantage I went through uh, recently, we, we really differ really from the other solutions that are on the market, but broadly, not only the wearable under the form of t-shirts. I have a little bit of a provocative question, which I'm curious to hear your opinion about. In 2015, an investor said to me in an interview that wearables are not interesting to investors anymore because they are much more interested in other kinds of sensors, such as ingestibles, embeddables, I would assume that you disagree. And to be fair, it's been five years since I heard that statement and wearables are very much still alive and in very lively development. Well, I, I think it's good to remember what I was saying um, previously. If we want remote patient monitoring to be a success, really improve the quality of life of the patients and the patient improve the patient outcome. It's very important that the wearable is comfortable and can be used as a standard T-shirt wearable and so on. Meaning that at the end, the patient forgets that is remotely uh, monitored and can have a normal life. So in other words, FPM will be successful if and only if we can remotely monitor the patients in real-life conditions. That's the key thing. And as soon as you start speaking about or consider invasive solutions to do that, it's always challenging for the patients. I'm not so sure it really contributes to the improving his quality, uh, his quality of life. So that's, that's why I disagree on the statement uh, this investor made. And frankly, I didn't hear it over the last two to three years talking with a lot of potential investors. I never heard this thing. Maybe it was a thought five years back and then it's changed. What would you say are still the opportunities for smart textiles for improvement? Because if I try to consider wearing a T-shirt with many sensors, you still have to wear it, you know, or a sock. You still have to put it on. It reminds you that you're sick and perhaps it's summer and it's hot and you don't want to put that on because it would be uncomfortable. So where do you see the potential for further development of these solutions? Yeah, that's, a, that's a good point. Today, our T-shirt is a mix of uh, cotton and uh, lycra. And for sure, uh, with the temperature, we know these days during summer, it can be pretty uh, 
can be a little bit hot. And so we continue to invest a lot looking at new textile, uh, new uh, materials that can uh, reduce this uh, aspect of the combined textiles uh, these days. And it's a permanent R&D effort. So we are, for instance, developing these days a wearable under the format of a bra to, to reduce uh, also this uh, feeling of warm on the skin. And we also work with a manufacturer, with the textile manufacturer, on new generation of uh, of textile and materials in order to uh, always uh, have something very comfortable that is not impacted by warm. So it's a permanent R&D effort, but there are a lot of innovations in this area. So we are pretty confident that we will have uh, over the year to come also a new textile that can uh, solve this problem. How about other solutions, the things, the sensors that are surrounding us? How do you see the future where the data will be acquired at a distance with no contact with our body or skin? For example, we are already seeing that body temperature can be monitored through cameras and there's a lot of other research being done in regards to what can be found out just based on an image or a camera footage. We also look at this technology but that's really long-term path I would say. So uh, today the technology that exists that are proven that are on top of that healthcare certified are the one that we use and leverage for a connected and, uh, and washable uh, T-shirt. On the long term, this technology you just referred to, yes, will be very attractive, very interesting in order to being not intrusive at all and collect the data remotely without any uh, direct uh, contact uh, to the to the skin. And and I think that's a future. That's a future versus intrusive solution which uh, we talked about before. That's definitely the, the future. But these technologies today are not enough proven and, and FK certified. It will still require three to five years, I believe, to be in a position to use and leverage these technologies for medical device and for connected therapies. What are the biggest challenges that you're facing when trying to get your solutions in the clinical setting? I don't know, is it the skepticism of uh, doctors? How do you convince them that this is something that they would want to use? Is it something else, perhaps? To be honest, the COVID-19 crisis has really changed the, the situation. In fact, one year ago, I could hear very often the hospitals, mainly in France, not in the US, but mainly in France and in, in some other EU countries, telling me, uh, Laurent, why do you want us to adopt and deploy remote patient monitoring service, meaning that we would monitor the patient from home, whereas we are paid for the use of the bed within the hospital. And we need to generate revenues. And the only way to generate revenues today is through the use of uh, the beds in the hospitals. But over the last two years and more more recently, due to the COVID-19 crisis, the situation has completely changed. And I can ensure you that I do not hear any more in hospitals saying, I'm not interested by remote patient monitoring. Because these days, what these guys need, what the uh, healthcare professional needs, is to make sure that only the patient that do need care comes back to the hospital. And in order to reach this objective, is to they need to deliver the continuum of care, meaning that they monitor the patients from uh, homes and only has or modify the treatment in real time remotely, or if it cannot help, then ask this patient to come back to the hospital in order to make sure that the number of patients coming back to the hospitals are minimized. You described a very important point 
which is the payment models in healthcare. You know, I often wonder how fast can digital health solutions be adopted when the payment models that insurance companies have are so complex that, as you described, it doesn't make sense for healthcare providers to adopt something new when they would not be paid to use that kind of a solution. And similarly, or at the same time, these solutions also cost something. So for medtech companies such as yourself, it's very hard to prove or to make an economic statement. Where is the saving going to come from? What's your insight into this whole topic? Again, on the situation has really changed and improved over the last two to three years with all these uh, decrease and lows and reimbursement principles that have been put in place to reimburse remote patient monitoring services in order to reduce hospital uh, readmissions. Why most of the uh, European countries start doing that? Because they have made the, the comparison that, in fact, it's much better also for the quality of life of the patient. It's much better to reimburse the RPN, so remote patient monitoring service, that will cost around 80 euro a month all included. So for a patient with chronic heart failure or for with diabetes, with BPCO, with the COPD, excuse me, for 80 euro a month, you can have a, a full end-to-end solutions, not only the medical device, but also the service, also the web portal for the physician to access the data, to receive the alarm, to manage the alarm and uh, come um, treat and uh, do the triage of the alarm before it is sent to the healthcare providers, etc. So roughly it's 80 euro per month per patient. And the, the payers and the healthcare authorities have made the comparison of that compared to the cost of the, a day of hospitalization for a patient, which is between 1,500 and 3,000 euro a day. So when, mm-hmm. when you compare the two options, then you very rapidly see the return of investment to leverage these digital health solutions and remote patient monitoring services to uh, remotely monitor patients from homes. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you liked what you've heard, leave a rating or a review by going to lovethepodcast.com slash facesofdigitalhealth. Thank you. The link is in the show notes. Stay tuned.